Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. But Red, I really can't go on accepting these gifts, though you are awfully kind. I'm not kind, I'm just tempting you. I never give anything without expecting something in return. I always get paid. Well, if you think I'll marry you, just pay for the bonnet, I won't. Don't flatter yourself, I'm not a marrying man. Well, I won't kiss you for it either. Open your eyes and look at me. No, I don't think I will kiss you. Although you need kissing badly. That's what's wrong with you. You should be kissed and often, and by someone who knows how. Oh, and I suppose you think you are the proper person. I might be, if the right moment ever came. You're a conceited, black-hearted, vomit red butler, and I don't know why I let you come and see me. <laughs> I'll tell you why, Scarlett. Because I'm the only man over 16 and under 60 who's around to show you a good time. Good evening, and welcome to television. Hello. Hello. Hey. Whoa. I'm Wayne Stellini. And I'm a Philip Hunting. And welcome to Fred Watch, where we review and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. We most certainly do, my good friend. What have you been watching since our last podcast? Well, I've been going down Nostalgia Lane. Yes. And I've been watching with Kirsten a little Australian show called Lift Off. Oh, okay. Yes. That's taken me back to my childhood. <laughs> so, um, for those who don't know, that was like an ABC TV show mm-hmm. um, for kids. And the thing is, I actually have a different viewing experience of it than Kirsten did. This doesn't surprise me yeah. about you. So, she's been showing me episodes. And it was funny because it started off and it had the, the theme. I'm like, oh, I vaguely remember this. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then it started into a series. Right. I'm like, oh. Okay, that's not what I thought that was. And she looks at me, and then she goes, oh, wait on. She puts on another episode, and it's a game show. Okay. I only remember the game show portion. (laughs) I didn't realise there was an actual series to the show. So, yeah, that was just a little bit of fun confusion and hilarity. Yes, so there was nostalgia and something new at the same time. Yeah, that's it. That is bizarre, but that could only happen to you. Of course. Philip Hunting. (laughs) Well, what do you remember it as? I remember it just as a series, I think. Yeah. yeah it wasn't one that I watched religiously. So yeah. I probably remember the title more, yep. maybe a bit of the theme, but it's content, to be honest, nothing yeah. that specific. Yeah. So, so again, I don't know the contents of the series all that well because yeah. I'm apparently brand new to it. But, it, 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 yeah, it's about a, a kid and this uh, uh, doll. Right. Were, and they go on hijinks, shenanigans, learning about the world, stuff like that. Nice. Um, and there's this manager of the hotel who's sort of almost very Basil Fawlty-esque. Yes. Um, he hates hates children. But the premise of the game show was that this nasty, nasty kid-hating man came through magic or through the, the doll's powers or whatever, uh, became a you know, loving, <laughs> I love children, children are awesome yeah. sort of uh, person for the period of the game show. Oh, cute. And that's all I remember. I didn't realise there was this uh, series attached to it. It's like a whole extended narrative. Yeah, that's yeah. it, that's it. That is quite cute, actually. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like a two-in-one, isn't it? That's it, that's it. Yeah. And I even have a funny feeling, though, it was attached to each other. It wasn't like a spin-off. So yeah, yeah. How I missed the series, I don't know. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> How about you, Wayne? What have you been watching? Well, I actually also revisited a show from my childhood, and even then it was reruns. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, so I've been watching a few episodes of The Addams Family. Ooh. Yes, indeed. And, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of laugh at things and enjoy them. But watching that show as an adult, 
I can't believe how hilarious it is. Like, it is just absolutely brilliant. It has... <laughs> Not aged whatsoever. Yeah. It is so funny. Like, been watching the, the movies that have been made of it, and you go, oh, yeah, these movies are fun, but watching the original TV series from the 60s, I'm like, this show is hilarious. I want it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've been having fun down memory lane. So similar to you, Phil, not quite what I remembered, but better for it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. What is today's film? Well, today, Philip, we are reviewing one of American cinema's most celebrated epics, Gone with the Wind. Please explain. Set against the backdrop of the American Civil War and the Reconstruction Era, Southern Belle Scarlett O'Hara, Vivian Lee, daughter of Georgia plantation owner Gerald, Thomas Mitchell, pursues aristocrat Ashley Wilkes, Leslie Howard. And although Ashley's marriage to his cousin, Melanie Hamilton, Olivia de Havilland, does not diminish her interest in him, strong-willed Scarlet ultimately weds the equally unyielding socialite, Rhett Butler, Clark Gable. Based on Margaret Mitchell's 1936 novel, Gone with the Wind remains one of American cinema's most significant productions. Enduring in popular culture for eight decades, Victor Fleming's masterpiece is still cited as one of the greatest films ever made, and, when adjusted for inflation, remains the highest box office owner of all time, grossing over $3.7 billion. But Philip, were you blown away by Gone with the Wind? I very much actually enjoyed this film, but (laughs) it definitely was, uh, this will sound really dumb, but it definitely was a film of its era. Oh yeah, absolutely. I know that sounds like, oh duh. But what I really mean by that, it's not just, you know, the, the contemporary issues, mm. but it's also the story I felt could have ended several times, mm. not just because of its length. I mean, in the sense of it felt like it had those endings and then the next bit was, and then, mm. and the two, because this is broken up into two distinct chapters. Yeah, absolutely. You've got, you know, Civil War, Reconstruction. Yeah. yeah. And that to me didn't they didn't all they didn't match okay they really didn't feel like they matched up you had this almost this moralistic tale of the civil war mm. and then the reconstruction just sort of felt confused mm. which hey maybe without knowing the era too well maybe that was intentional maybe it was because mm. it was a confused time in history well i suppose it would be because now everyone from the south has to adjust, don't they? Mm. And I guess, yeah, confusion would be it. Scarlet, for example, is someone who sees that she can't really hold on to how things had to be in sense of tradition and structure and has to adapt. And she's criticised for it, for being, you know, going with the traders, for example, and doing Mm. business with them. So, yeah, I guess confusion is there. But does that mean for you that it was still a confused narrative? To some degrees, I feel it was mm. but maybe maybe that's again just because i wasn't quite getting because it's a film based in the 1800s mm. created in the 1930s mm. being viewed by 21st century mm. audience yeah it's not the most coherent sort of time Framing, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. And is that just because of context or pre-knowledge? I, I, I think there's a bit of that going on. Okay, that's interesting. So you don't think that there is enough of the story that it sort of provides context at the same time? Let's start off looking at it without sort of modern 
glasses. Well, yeah, exactly. So the story in itself. I yeah. mean, the story does the story stand, I suppose, on itself to you. I mean, if we look at the framework, it's a very simple framework. Yeah. It is what we would call an old-fashioned romantic melodrama. Yes. Because whilst we have the Civil War and Reconstruction as the backdrop, that's the timeline we're following, mm. it really isn't about that. It is about Scarlet. It's her yes. coming of age. It's her pursuing a man who doesn't love her. She learns that the hard way after quite a number of <laughs> years. But it's really, for me, a character-driven piece in the sense that this is Scarlet's story. This is her perspective. And I think, for me, that's actually why, for me, it doesn't work as well. Right. Or, or even more to the point... It's almost by the numbers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But but that's sort of what I mean. This, yeah. is, this is where when you break it down, it falls apart for me. Mm. But this is why I think I'm struggling as well. Because as its whole, as the sum of its parts, mm. this is where the beauty of it and its amazingness and why it deserves all the accolades it gets. Mm. So visually, it's one of the most stunning movies I've seen in a while. Mm. It's quite pretty, isn't it's it? It's very pretty. I would very happily take any scene they have Mm. of uh, any long shot they have Mm. be it of one of the battlefields or be it of the estate or i'd very happily frame that on my wall yeah and you know it's absolutely gorgeous and a lot of the dialogue whilst the story i think is very bland the dialogue Mm. itself is rich it's very rich dialogue some of it's quite over the top isn't it like it's so suiting to the style i feel yeah the reason i think i'm struggling with it is because i do know quite a few 1800s and melodramas i'm sure you do i know a lot of these when they would have been done as stage plays Mm. and this to me is almost like someone's gone hey I remember Vaudeville. I remember the, the melodramas of the stage. I remember all these wonderful things. Yeah. I can now do it without the restraints of a backdrop. Well, I believe that author Margaret Mitchell was inspired by the stories she had been told from family members about their experiences in the war, Mm -hmm. you know, from being passed down. So she was basing this on a lot of stories heard and read, expressed. So she had a lot of, I guess, rich material to source from. Mm. So, yeah, I suppose that style would be very influential in the way the novel was written and then the way it was filmed Mm. without any restrictions. You don't need to worry about the vaudeville restrictions when writing a book and definitely not when you're producing it Mm. to a film. And I think this is where... As well, when it comes to the story of it, Mm. there to me feels like, yes, she's wanting to write or they're producing a a movie about the Civil War and then about the Reconstruction, Mm. but then almost missing the point because they're seeing it through the eyes of this very selfish and very almost unattached. She's not in the world. This almost feels like... There was a, a YouTube YouTube series mm. um, based on the janitors on the Death Star. Right. And the joke was that everything was happening around them and they were completely oblivious. Were this, they as self-centred as Scarlett O'Hara? Yeah, that's it. It was their world. <laughs> yeah. And their, so was there a perspective? Is there a perspective? And the joke in that miniseries is that, ha, 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 everything's happening around them. I get it. Ha, ha, ha. Mm. This feels like someone's done a parody of the Civil War. Yeah. Someone's done the, 
Oh, I get it. She she doesn't she doesn't really know what's going. On. Even though she, there are times, yeah, when she gets her hands dirty, it's still very much about her and still very much. Yeah. About- See, I feel like. I don't want to say that the Civil War is just incidental, for example. I actually think Scarlet's story, her pursuit of romance, her determination to keep Terra, this, you know, vibrant plantation, even without slavery, you mm. know, once Reconstruction happens and all of these different things, is at the forefront. I think it's really about heroing her. I think that the author has drawn from Civil War stories is a matter of interest and I guess as a way of placing Scarlet with action and obstacles to do because otherwise if we took, say, the war out of it, it would be a pretty dull journey for Scarlet. So it makes her grow up really quickly with resistance and reluctance from her, mind you, but she has to get her hands dirty. She doesn't want to. You know, all she wants to do is be with her mother at Tara and enjoy the lifestyle she's enjoyed. But she now realises that she has to do all of the things that she thought she wouldn't have to do before in order to keep it. She's quite strong-willed. She's Mm. independent, really, in her own way, despite falling to a lot of what we would now call stereotypical tropes about women relying on men or pursuing men because they need a man in their life. But I don't know, does Scarlet really need a man? She survives well on her own and uses men to advance the bigger goal. Yeah, and I think this is also where, for me, maybe I don't know the historical context that it's set in well enough because... To me, it feels like there are metaphors here. They're just going over my head. Right, okay. Scarlet, to me, almost feels like she is representing the South. Mm. Does she represent the South? Uh, And, you know, is being stubborn in the face of everything that's happening and that her rise and fall and then sort of gradual rise again. But it's hard for me to understand because she's still very stubborn. She doesn't learn a lesson until Rhett leaves her at the end and she decides she loves him. And is that part of the metaphor or is that just sort of part of the melodrama? And then on top of that, does Rhett represent the North Mm. or is he another part of the South? I don't understand the metaphors and it actually bugs me quite a bit because, and again, I'm sure if I was an American in 1939, from the North or South, I would get these metaphors straight off the bat. Mm. As an Aussie, here and now, I don't have the slightest clue what these are meant to uh, mean, and it really annoys me. And so you feel you can't enjoy on a superficial level? And this is, I think, the problem. At a superficial level, mm. the movie doesn't hold up for me. Okay, that's it, interesting. Uh, outside of, yes, again, I, I enjoyed it. I, I want to make clear, backtracking everything I've just said, I did enjoy this movie. Its dialogue was fantastic. Its scenery, the visuals were superb. Even the story unto itself was enjoyable. Mm. But if you take away said metaphors, if you take away said the, the grander picture that it's trying to say, I don't think it's worth the accolades people keep talking about it. The annoying thing for me is I know that it's there. This is why I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I know that it's there. I just personally can't wrap my head around it. Okay. I think It's more ignorance. I suppose what I'm really driving at is my own ignorances are making it so that I can't really enjoy this movie to its fullest, and that annoys me. I feel like you're overthinking it, mate, to be honest. Very possibly. So I first saw Gone with the Wind, I think, when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And... 
no idea about the Civil War, right? But I felt then, and I'm going to say that because I remember enjoying the movie. I will admit I enjoy it more now. I've seen it a few times. But even then I enjoyed it because it offered enough. It tells me where the soldiers are, what's happening. It's telling me what's happening in Scarlet's life, who is where, where they're at. You see these different things unfold because I think for me... I grabbed onto Scarlet as a character and I think the success of the film and the level of enjoyment or engagement is do you hook onto Scarlet? She is there at the very beginning complaining about Mm. war. She's got the brothers swooning over her. We know she's not interested in them, but they are most definitely interested in her as are a lot of men on that plantation (laughs) and in that area. And within the first few minutes, we discover that she is really annoyed because the man she loves, Ashley, is about to marry his cousin because that's the thing you do. Mm -hmm. Those first few minutes tell us everything we need to know about Scarlet and you either love that or you don't (laughs) about her because she stays that way the whole way through. You're right, Philip. She does not learn until the very, very end. That's after Melanie dies And she has that conversation with Ashley. And you're like, you're kidding me, right, Scarlett? You know, she's like, and she blames him. Mm. She absolutely blames him for like, well, why didn't you tell me you didn't love me? Mm. It's all his fault. And then because of that, because of her infatuation with Ashley, that was clearly one-sided. Well, I guess I don't love you. (laughs) No, it's Rhett, who I actually love, who is now absolutely disinterested in her Mm -hmm. since their daughter has died. Mm -hmm. So... It's a really harsh lesson and perhaps still a very superficial one, really. (laughs) But if we've paid attention the first five minutes, that's what Scarlet is all about. She's got a lot of positive traits about her, her work ethic, her determination, this idea of wanting to, you know, maintain the legacy that her Mm. father and her mother have set up through Terra. That's the focus for her. It's all about land. Terra is everything to her. And there is that determination that I think makes her an incredibly attractive character. So on a superficial level, I think that that's what I connected to. Mm. Having studied American history since then, and by no means an expert, (laughs) mate, you probably know as much about it as I do, if not more, because you're still more history-minded than (laughs) I am, I still get enough and understand enough and am engaged all the way through it. I don't mind that it is paint by numbers in terms of its blueprint Mm. because I think the best films are like that. And I say that because the most simple framework to a film makes it accessible and then you can build upon it. You can add all of these historical details, all of these character dynamics because if we're convoluted from the very beginning, from the basis, because I want to show you how clever I am, the film fails. We've seen so many convoluted movies no, I, like that. I agree with you there. Look, I suppose maybe one of my issues is for me, the way that I see it is that when looking at historical films, and maybe this is also part of the problem, I've come at this as a historical film mm. as opposed to maybe a melodrama. Yes, because you're right. Whilst it's based, and you could argue, yes, it is a historical film. It's set at a specific era, but... You're right, Phil. History is not the main focus of this. Yeah, I'm it's not trying to teach you about the Civil yeah, War. I'm wondering if I'm wanting Gettysburg as opposed to uh, A Gun with the Wind. Perhaps. Because for me, I've always sort of felt that if you're going... For example, if you want to learn about World War One, mm. 
don't go in watching Gallipoli first. Yeah. Go in and watch All Quiet on the Western Front, then watch Gallipoli. Well, yeah. This is assuming you want to learn all your history from movies. Yeah, of course. What I'm driving at is that sort of, you need that sort of overarching yes. sort of uh, idea before you get that. I've come in and Gone with the Wind is Gallipoli. Mm-hmm. It's that... It's about the characters. It's about the characters, and it's about that one little snippet of a grander thing. Yeah. I'm wanting, as my first viewing of a, a historical era, mm. I'm wanting that Gettysburg all quiet on the Western Front, whereas right. this isn't that. So is I this think your maybe first, that's my... Yeah, so is this your first work of fiction set in the Civil War, in the American Civil War? Uh, predominantly, yes. Oh, okay, so sure. So I actually don't know the Civil War all that well yeah funnily enough and this is also i think something that's throwing me a little bit i've also realized just realized i'm making some mental comparisons to so i actually sat down and listened to the trotsky's war and peace Mm -hmm. and for me that gives you enough of both to really grasp not just the social stuff but the war stuff the the really the era yeah and the idea of war and peace basically is giving a really dumb down. Oh, yes, because it's an extremely <laughs> it's, thick book. It's an extremely thick book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> extremely long audio book. Yeah. Um, it is that the entire social class, mm. everything that the Russians knew of their world mm. is decimated through this war. Yes. Absolutely destroyed, and that's the and it's these people who are trying to cling on to this old era. Yeah, and you see that in this movie. Mm. But for me, I think the difference is that this movie is still trying to put a positive spin onto everything. It's still put, trying to put that, you know, the the southern pride sort of stuff onto it. Whereas War and Peace, it's super cynical. It is straight up. Mm. You guys are idiots. Yeah. Stop trying to hold on to the past. We need to rebuild because yeah. everything's gone to death. Everything's gone bad. Well, Philip, you know what? We're going to talk about romanticizing the past in a moment, but let's now officially put on our contemporary lenses yes. and think about some of the tropes, I know, I suppose um, stereotypes that Gone with the Wind has. I think one of the main ones here is the representation of women. Mm. For example, Scarlet pursues a man at any cost. You know, marries a man to make another man jealous. Marries a man to secure her financial security. Goes with Rhett, essentially, because it will put her in a better position. So, she's quite ruthless, I suppose, in her pursuits whilst still having the overall goal of being with Ashley in the back of her mind. So, I don't know, how did you feel about that type of representation of women? Because we've got some different degrees of femininity and womanhood presented here. You've got Scarlett, who, let's face it, if she were a man, no one would be critical (laughs) of her at all. Mm. So, I think this is also one of the reasons why I like Scarlet so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she is so brave and she's got these attributes that are so unladylike, whatever that means. Yeah, and it's so weird because she's portrayed... If if you had her today, if you said to have a psychologist today, mm. she'd be diagnosed with sociopathic tendencies. Whereas, she really, is, she's a spoiled brat. She's just a spoiled brat. <laughs> but, yeah, she has these... 
and you see it, that sort of, she'll cry and then sort of look to see whether the person's... She has this, I'm out for me and me only yes. sort of view on the world. And I think that's what rubbed me up the wrong way about her as well. Mm. I don't like characters like that. I especially don't like them being the heroes. Yeah. But again, that's sort of my... That that's a little that's that's very much on me yeah. because I've never liked those characters because to me I see too many of those sort of characters in real life. Oh, they exist. Yeah, absolutely. It. You know, it's it's not like oh, we don't know anyone like that, and maybe sometimes we're like that ourselves. <laughs> One thing I do like about Scarlet, which I mentioned earlier, you're right. You know, she's after herself, mm. but there's still a grander picture when it comes to Tara, at least. Mm. Ashley, yes. That is just purely on her. It doesn't matter if Melanie gets hurt in the process. She marries the man that her sister has been courting for so long because it will benefit her overall. But I think that she's a lot more than just a two-dimensional cardboard character of like, Mm. oh, here's a spoiled brat who just wants a man will do anything to get him. I think it's easy to paint her that way because you feel like every third or fourth word she says is Ashley. (laughs) And is really persistent of him. And Ashley himself is quite a weak character. Very indecisive, wishy-washy. You know, we'll we'll go into a bit more details about the different characters and performances a bit later. But if we want to have a contrast to Scarlet, it's Melanie. Mm. Oh, yeah. Who we could call Saint Melanie. (laughs) (laughs) Really. Who never has a bad word to say about anybody, Mm. really. She's a beautiful character. I wanted her to be a little smarter. There's just a bit of me that wanted her to be, like, at the very end, Mm. actually openly turn around and say to Scarlet, I know what you've done. Still be forgiving and all that crap, but sort of just... Don't you think that's implied, though? Like, I feel like... I think it's a little bit implied. And again, maybe this is just... Melanie's aware the whole way through, I reckon. Maybe this is just, again, my... I miss the subtlety of it, but... Yeah, I'd like... Okay, I've suggested that maybe Melanie's aware all all the way through. Probably not. Mm. I mean, but she is aware at one very particular stage yeah. when Scarlet and Ashley are discovered embracing mm. one another. And Scarlet definitely becomes like the branded woman. Yeah. Rhett makes her wear a Scarlet dress yeah, yeah. to shame her. Yeah. You know, because he's like, well, you know, you're going to Ashley's birthday party so Melanie can throw you out of her own home mm. because that is exactly what you deserve. Yeah. And Melanie, who I feel is actually a little confronted, by Scarlet being there at first, it's kind of like, okay, she's here. I need to handle this in a dignified, mm. Christianly manner. Mm. And re- not only receive Scarlet, but invite Scarlet to receive her guests. Yeah. Which is interesting because, of course, Melanie has already received them formally. Yeah. But she is making her guests accept Scarlet. Yeah. If I can forgive her or if I can see no issue here you don't banish her, like, yeah. to, to the side. You don't ostracize her. Yeah, that's my choice to make, sort of thing. And she's told the world that she's forgiven. Yeah, and especially because Melanie does see Scarlet as a sister. They are mm. sister-in-laws, really. Yeah. And I think maybe Melanie feels indebted for Scarlet keeping her alive mm. through that horrible period. I think a good chunk of my issue with Scarlet as a character mm. is because I am so used to now seeing the trope of spoilt brat or, or, or luxury person or whatever, mm. wartime hits, they're a changed person. Mm. You don't really properly see that. She changes, but in in more of a has to get her hands dirty 
kind of She changes way. in a practical in manner. In a practical but manner, but not in a no. mental manner, and which you, I'm so used to seeing there. And I actually enjoy, I enjoy those movies yeah. where it's that redemption through war. So the fact that this one was a little bit different, you yeah. didn't like? You it, wanted it, the it, cliche? It, it, even I, I, though you, this so was done before it was a cliche? Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and to be honest, a little bit, yeah. yeah. And I know that sounds a little daft, but... Yeah. It, it, it to me was it didn't. F- oh, this is going to sound bad, but it didn't feel realistic to me because, and maybe that's because I've seen the trope so often. And again, that's why I say trope as opposed to stereotype mm. or, or cliche because it's something that I think feels a lot more realistic. That you are changed so fundamentally by war that most, if not all, of your whole values are just absolutely turned on their head. But you don't think that the war has changed Scarlet? Now, look, let's keep in mind that, yes, she still wants to pursue a man. It happens to be Rhett, not Ashley, by the end of it. But you don't think it changes her? She goes from being quite passive to being assertive and leading the rebuild and redemption of Tara. I think this is a movie made by a country that had only been through one world war yes i think she's changed Mm. but i think your assessment of her having changed more practically Mm. is closer to home i yes she is more assertive but it's not that it's hard because i know the the logical answer to all this is oh everybody's different Mm. yes (laughs) and on one hand, yes, everybody is different and everybody, the whole, you know, shtick of, you know, oh, well, this is her story is perfectly acceptable as a reason for all this. But I just feel, to me, it feels unrealistic that she can go through all of that. Talk about hating seeing all the death. Yeah. And then still have such a lack of empathy. mm Again, to me, I could not watch her character the whole way through. I could think nothing other than she is sociopathic. Yeah. She has zero empathy for anyone, and that has to be a mental disorder issue. And I don't think this movie is trying to show that. This movie is trying to show that she Oh, absolutely she is, not. Yeah. yeah. This movie is trying to show that this is just the norm. This is who she is. This is mm-hmm. acceptable. And it doesn't feel real to me it kept taking me out of the movie perhaps it doesn't feel real but man is it refreshing because it is different i just love that you know what if she's going to be a spoiled brat who expects everything to sort of come to her at first and then the civil war her being forced out of tara seeing all the soldiers suffering Mm. and you're right you know, not really having that much empathy, being disturbed by it, absolutely, but to the degree that it affects her so much that she then says, I'm leaving, I'm so tired of this, I don't want it anymore. She longs to go back to the lifestyle she had, and that is probably more of a motivation for her rebuilding Tara, for having the life with Rhett that she wants. I find that actually quite refreshing that she didn't become a saint in the end. I would not have believed it at all. I don't think she needed to become a saint, but I think, one, right through the movie, I just found her to be an idiot. I found her to really? be... Really? Yeah, I'm sorry. Not an idiot in the sense of, you know, she, she's uneducated or she's mm-hmm. not doing smart things, but yeah. just it's that stupidity of, you know, uh, trying to do the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Yeah. It, it's that 
stubbornness, that pig-headedness. And then at the end, yes, she doesn't become a saint. Mm. But she gets that redemption arc of, Mm. well, I'm going to rebuild my farm. I'm going to rebuild my land. And this sort of, this hopeful thing. She didn't earn hope. She didn't earn uh, trust. She didn't earn anything. You don't think she earned the right to be in that position after everything she went through? She, as a character... yeah. Earned nothing. I'm talking in movie land. Of course, yeah. Yeah. She earned nothing. So we've got Scarlet who is living in this shiny, perfect bubble and doesn't really know any hardship whatsoever. Lady of leisure if ever there was one, right? Everything that she went through, you don't think that she then earned the right to be like... I'm going home to Tara, I'm rebuilding, and you know what? I want Rhett, I will get him. In movie land? No. Obviously, if she was a real person, you wouldn't hope bad things on her. Oh, yes, we're talking. It's a movie. It's a movie. Scarlet's not a real person. We're talking this movie. And this is also the other problem I'm facing, and I can see exactly where my problem is. Yeah. Because I do enjoy certain tropes. I do enjoy certain things. In a zombie movie, she is the bitching, moaning. (laughs) In one of your Jason movies, she's one of the first dead because she's the annoying one who's bitching and moaning about about everything not being right and perfect. And, oh, I don't have this and I don't have that. They're dead. They're gone. <laughs> and this, I think, is the problem. The person that you usually mm. have that schadenfreude feeling of, oh, thank God he got killed off first. Yeah, I yeah. don't want the, the, the nerdy virgin to die. <laughs> oh, they're probably the last ones to die. She's the, now the protagonist, the person that she you sit is, there and you yeah. go, you little so-and-so <laughs> yep. is the person who gets the arc at the end. And I think our modern sensibilities, yes. and maybe just my modern sensibilities, <laughs> despises that because we've had 50-odd years of movies trying to tell us, hey, the guy... That, that that squashes everyone from far above mm. gets their comeuppance. Yes. And this person that, yes, while she's been through a lot, yeah. hasn't shown any growth, hasn't shown any character building. Yes, she's adapted. To, this is the difference. She's adapted to a situation. Mm. She's had to uh, uh, do the growing and learn how to do all that sort of stuff. But at no point has she sat there and made out that, She's humbled by it. Oh, no, absolutely not. And that, to me, is, I think, what really pisses me off. And any remorse that Scarlet does actually show is more for herself than anything else. It's more a bit of self-pity, really. Yeah, It's such a hard life for her, even when she's in a very privileged position. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the appeals, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Because you're like, you don't feel like a real human. I don't know, there's just something about her that I'm drawn to. That, to me, is almost... uh, It's funny that you're drawn to that, and that's what annoys me. Yeah. The issues of her social life and before the war yeah. are just as bad as her issues during the war and seemed <laughs> not being able to marry the, the man of her dreams yes, or, or social dreams is just as bad as seeing people dying. And it's like... <sighs> if not worse. If not worse. Yes, well, she definitely harps on about it more. Yeah, Let's be honest it. about that's Ashley it. more than that's anything. It. And that just absolutely does not... 
feel real to me. That's what I mean about all But that. it is very much the Southern Belle trope, isn't yeah, it, really? Yeah. I mean, Philip, if we think about, for example, like the Golden Girls, so the character hmm. of Blanche Devereaux is yeah. from the South, and she has these ideals. Oh, I know, the Golden Girls is a comedy and no, they're no, played no, up. I can still see what but, you're saying. But, you know, she will the... say things like, you know, oh, I couldn't do that, it wouldn't be Southern. Yeah. And she tells this long story in one of the very early episodes about how brave she was going to the to the prom or to the school formal with this man and and things like that with this particular boy and they're all like wow Blanche that was so brave of you you know going to your prom with a black man and she's like black he wasn't black I went to my senior prom with a Yankee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was another episode I remember specifically where she's explaining what growing up was like in, you know, the home that she grew up with. Yeah. And Philip, it was so over the top yeah. that Dorothy cuts her off <laughs> and literally starts, you know, using lines and references to Gone with the Wind because she's <laughs> kind of like, come on, Blanche. The South and that era is romanticised a lot. So this is one of the critiques of Gone with the Wind, especially now, is that it romanticises this time in history. Yes. And this part in history, part of the world, where slavery is prevalent because this is how the economy thrives, survives, and really is built upon. So what did you think about the dynamics between the slaves... And the slave masters, the families in power. It very much has, you are right, it has this feel of the era where people started to sort of revisionize the war. Mm. So the war from our modern views, but also from contemporary views of the time of the 1800s from the Civil War, was a war of secession. Yep. And that of the issue of slavery. Yes. Documents left, right and centre. So I don't know a lot about the social structure of this era, hence I struggle with this movie, but I do know quite a bit about the beginning of the Civil War. Yeah. And it is one, unarguably, of slavery. Oh, yes. Now, I'm more than happy to be the sort of person to sit there and go, okay, uh, it wasn't the shiny north to the evil south. The, the, the northern states' attitude was, well, we want to end slavery, not because we want to make people of colour free and citizens. They actually had a plan to ship them back to Africa. <laughs> yeah. So it's not this beautiful, noble sort of thing. But over the years... The southern states have tried to recast the War of Independence mm. as the southern struggle, as this, this you know, this idea that agriculture was being threatened by industrialization and that their way of life was being destroyed, and that people just felt that a southern country, a southern state country was something that was the natural order of things Mm -hmm. and that they were meant to... It's just a load of malarkey that was really sort of pushed in the 1940s and 1950s. Now, this movie really does come out before that really... that that sort of movement really took off. So I can't legitimately put it as a... Uh, a catalyst of that or something part of it, but it still very much has that propaganda feel. You know, one of the things that I sort of think about 
this because you're right. This is before the big civil rights yes. push that yes. changes American history. But I wonder if the way that the dynamics between black characters and white characters here, the way that the South is presented, isn't so intentional. And I almost want to say it then just becomes a pitfall of the fact that this film is a romance melodrama. Mm. And so, therefore, everything feels grander and more romanticised and simple and so forth because... The dynamics between the the house servants, specifically, if we really look at, say, Mammy, for example, played by Hattie McDaniel, and Scarlett, and even the other characters, it's very friendly. It's very familiar. You feel like that Mammy is valued not only for the services she does, but as a person. That can't be true, let's Mm. be honest, Mm. you know, if if we're going realistic. So, there is that romanticised version. Oh, it wasn't so bad. Everyone gets along. Mammy fights to keep the South the way it is in her own way. Yeah, and and that's that's the sort of... Again, when you start to get a little bit further on in time, mm. this reimagining of the war and the era, yeah. I mean, then you also have things around the same era, such as Song of the South, which is problematic in the exact same way. Yeah, And you, you just have... It actually reminds me of The Patriot. Yes. They've got this scene, and it's just so hypocritical. And to me, it sort of reminds me sort of of that in a way, where... Early on in the film, they're mocking the fact that the British are offering slaves to have their freedom if they fight for the British. Yeah. And all the all the, the patriots are mocking this and saying, you know, oh, oh that's, that's rubbish. They're not going to do that. Then later on in the film, you have a thing where... A, a, a black slave is reading a pamphlet mm. that's or, or is read a pamphlet saying, you know, if you fight for the the the, the patriots, uh, yeah. we will free you. And someone mocks him, saying, "Oh, what are you going to do with freedom or something?" But yeah. it's me- but the music is beautiful and all yeah. The exact same thing is one hand being mocked, the other thing being praised. And I feel there's very much the same sort of feeling here mm. that you're right that. Uh, uh, slavery is almost sort of romanticised, but then you have this free black man with his carpet bag yes. <laughs> uh, being almost villainised as, yeah. oh, he's, 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 he's being so nasty to the, 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 the soldiers. How, yeah. how could you do that to a veteran? Yeah. And it's just this sort of counterintuitive, I feel, yeah, because, view. Yeah, and I suppose really, though, this is a Southerner's perspective. And this... To me, is what I mean by the problem. Yes, of it. yeah, especially in a contemporary manner, yeah. where we just kind of go, well, you know, if you're going to show a southerner's perspective, even a privileged southerner's perspective, you would go along the way of, for example, the TV series Roots, which was made in the seventies, which did not glamorize slavery at all. It was still toned down in certain Mm. respects to not alienate the white audience. Mm. Sympathetic white characters were added, for example, and you had really kind slave masters, if there is such a thing, Mm. and you had excessively nasty ones. So this doesn't really have that balance. Everyone gets along. Yes, there is conflict, especially when we consider Scarlet and Prissy, Mm. but Prissy herself is problematic 
even in a stereotypical point yeah. of view, because you can at least say, okay, the servants are stereotypes or tropes. They fit into this formula that we've got here. But you go, at least Mammy is extraordinarily strong. She yeah. is likable the whole way through. You are on her side the yeah. whole way through. Everything that she does, there is a sense of genuine care. Yeah. Like, she feels like a real person. Yeah. Prissy, for example, is quite annoying and is a simpleton. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, that's a reflection on the performance or anything. It's the way the character is written. Yes. It's showing a very dumbed downside mm. of a servant who hasn't had any education. Now, let's be honest, slaves did not have formal yeah. education because education, knowledge is power. Yeah. Heaven forbid the slaves realise that they are human beings and are worth mm. <laughs> as much dignity and respect as anyone else. But... She feels also quite excessive. She feels like such a nuisance. Yeah. And I think this, again, brings me back to what I was saying, actually. I won't go back to yeah. it, but to, to link it up, what I was saying about with Scarlet, that there is this issue between real world mm. and movie world. Yeah. Because, yeah, in the real world, I mean, you mentioned, you know, if there is such thing as a good, uh, a good ma- slave master. Yeah. Well, th- there were. There were kind people. There were people that were yes. genuinely fun. There were slaves who were genuinely happy to be slaves. And I mean that not in the sense of trying to say, oh, they would have preferred to be slaves. Partly because they didn't know any better. Yeah. And partly because, yeah, there were, were a lot of them that their lot in life was... They were treated well, so they and they didn't know any better. Therefore, they didn't sit there and go, "Oh, I feel like shit." They're like, mm, "I'm happy." Oh, absolutely, Philip. So get me wrong. No. Freedom is better. But- oh, oh no, I exactly know what uh, where you're coming from. Yeah. My my point comes from this, just so I, I can clarify. Yeah. Uh, is that I say if there is such a thing as a good slave master, in the sense of does owning another human oh, okay. through slavery. Does that automatically cancel you out as a good person at yeah, all? Yeah, okay. In now, that I, time, I, I get that's what, what I mean. That's a whole other kettle of fish. Absolutely, but but to then go on to Prissy, yeah, she has this attitude, and again, this is where I feel it's the movie world versus reality. Yeah, in reality, that there, there are people like that. Yes, there are people that exist like that. But in movie world, she's been made to be like that, not because for us to go, oh, yeah, I know someone like that. Mm. She's been made like that because she's a black slave who is trying to be shown as the idiot. She's off. She's there for comedy relief. She's there for comedy relief, but also that reassurance that, yeah, this is what they're like. They are sub- <laughs> they're either strong but subservient, like Mammy. Or they are idiots and in their place. It does present the black characters, most of them at least, in a lesser role. So one could argue, well, why shouldn't it? Because this is how they were treated. But they're not given, I suppose, the depth Mm. that other characters have. Again, we could argue, why would they? It is from a white person's perspective. So... I, th- I suppose the film is problematic in that way, but also maybe contemporary readings are problematic in that way. And this, I think, is the tough part of it because you mm. can sit there and say, it's a beautiful film, it's this and that, but it's got these problems. Oh, but it's, you know, you've got to look at it from its viewpoint. But then 
when do we sit back and say, okay, this needs to be retired in its context. Mm. We can no longer watch this without going, yes, this is problematic. Mm. Uh, for example... I don't uh, know if we should, though. I have a big issue with a bit of a movement of cancelling culture, as it's called. No, no I, I don't think I'm going as far as cancel culture. Mm. What I mean is... If I turned to you and said, oh, we really need to watch Triumph of the Will. Yes. In its absolute purest what it was meant to be. Mm. What I'm suggesting is that we need to watch it as if we are Aryan Nazis. The way we should watch it is going, okay, yes, this is the context in which it was. Mm. And we need to understand that it's from this time. That's all good. But we should never take off... But at some point during history, we turned around and said, okay, we no longer believe in what it's in its message. Yes. Well, and that's, that's what I suppose I mean. Well, at what point do we look at this movie and go, okay, yes, it is beautiful, it's wonderful and all that, but we're going to now start to be critical of its uh, message. And I know oh, that's what we've started to oh, do. Oh, of course. And I, and I know that people are critical of representation, I think, mm. more so than its message. Because its message, I think, was more... Very simply, a love story. I don't think it tried to rewrite history. I don't think it tried to do anything that malicious. I, to a small degree, disagree. Right. I don't think it was outset. Yes, you are right. I do not think producers sat down and gone, right, we want something to rewrite history. Mm. But I think its very existence has helped to... Back up certain stereotypes and oh, back up absolutely. Certain, again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Song of the South. You could very much argue that that was, and I think rightly argue that that was never intended to be outwardly racist. Right. I do not. I've seen it, and I do not believe the intent was to turn around to black people and say you're lesser, you're this, you're that. Mm. I think the stories that it told very much do that. Mm. I don't think anyone sat down writing that movie, pushing that movie, sat down and said, right, our goal here is to do this. However, I also, they never had those filters, the filters we have today, to turn around and go, "Mm, maybe this is a bad idea Mm. because they thought nothing of it. Yes, I think so. So that's sort of, it's then gone on to help bring people down and keep perpetuate people. this perpetuate that's it yeah i think the if we're doing a comparison i haven't seen song of the south but i am aware mm. of it and its contents i think one of the differences though that song of the south is a black person's perspective or at least is presented as a black mm. person's mm. perspective no, i get that whereas yeah, yeah, yeah. gondwin again is from a white person's perspective cast crew original author and when we reflect on yesteryear don't do we not romanticize it most certainly I, I think that gone with the wind is problematic if it is the only movie you see set in the slavery era however that is extraordinarily unlikely i firmly believe that when people watch this film and phil correct me if i'm wrong because you are people <laughs> that what they come away from it was not like, oh, wow, that was a really interesting war movie. Things were so much simpler back then until those damn Northerners not came true, in and true. ruined everything. I think they go, gosh, that's an epic romance. Yeah. You know, goes across all of these years and the backdrop of all of these battles and all of these things, all of this struggle mm. to, to redeem land and all. I, I, I think they, they really do see it. I know I do. 
as a story about a young woman named Scarlett O'Hara, who is, if anything, determined (laughs) to achieve certain objectives. We've talked a lot about how women are represented and how the different races are represented as well. The men Hmm. in this film, they, I think, are just painted a bit more broadly. You've got... Rhett Butler, who is more of the the macho, charismatic, carefree person. He's, you know, assertive. He's aggressive. You've got Ashley, who's very wimpish. You know, you've got extremes Mm. across there. A lot of the men in this uh, movie, you know, are holding on to old principles and reminding ladies to stay dignified and, you know, are, are always in control. Accurate in any way, do you think? I mean, it's a broad range of masculinities, I suppose, yeah. which is commendable. Yeah. I definitely think men come off better in this right. movie than the women. Because you have such a problem with Scarlet. Because, yeah. yeah. But even even that aside, I mean that in the sense that you're right. They do, they're allowed to have more range. Yeah. After saying that, each man seems to have their one range. <laughs> and... Like, Ashley is always, even though he's heroic for being a soldier, mm. etc., he is always that weak-minded fellow who doesn't know what he wants and is trying to hold desperately to old principles. Mm. Rhett is always dashing, but uh, the dashing scoundrel who always knows what he wants. The only change we see in him is once he has a child. Yeah. As soon as the child's gone, he's back to his old ways. Yes. So... Th- even then, the characters are still very one-dimensional. The only mm. difference is there's more of them to play with. Yes. That makes they all make one very diverse man. <laughs> yes. I mean, look, I mean, there's no doubt that the characters in this film are key components mm. of it. We've talked about a few of them. But if we think about, I suppose, the characters and the performances, then, Phil, I'll name just a few of them and... You know, we, we've talked a lot, so we don't have to keep going more about them. But if we did want to start with Clark Gable as Rhett Butler, what were your thoughts overall of, of Clark's performance of the leading man here? I definitely enjoyed the role. I could see why the, his performance has gone down in history. Mm. It, it is a very powerful character. It is very... He's, he's got a very, very good uh, stage presence, uh, yeah. screen presence. He does. Interesting... There was a scene that I found very interesting where he gets drunk, gets angry, essentially carries his wife off to have his way with her. Yes. And we're, again, modern viewings of it, you go, oh, this isn't good, this is mm. this is terrible. Very next scene, she's whistling away all happy as she enjoyed herself last yes. night. So, oh, okay, we're yes. endorsing this, well, are we? Well, no, yes, I was actually <laughs> going to ask you about this, Philip. So we do have, this is... For a number of reasons, you couldn't make Gone with the Wind today. Yeah. Right? (laughs) This is one of them. So, in a drunken and jealous rage, because Mm -hmm. he is jealous of Scarlett's uh, affections towards Ashley, Mm -hmm. he um, lifts her off her feet, carries her up the stairs, and it is implied that he rapes her. The next morning, she wakes up extraordinarily happy and (laughs) seems quite pleased with herself. And... Even, I believe, at the time, there were people flagging that she woke up too happy. Yeah. So, did that moment change your opinion of Rhett? Or are we just going to be like, 
No, it's more the movie than the yeah, character. At that point of the the game, I was it was movie issues for yeah. me. Like, yeah, okay, you could say, oh, well, that's definitely the character character issue if mm. you wanted to break everything down in little bits. But by that stage, I was already having trouble with the movie. The movie's going in certain parts yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Um, the simple fact that she wakes up happy, mm. he comes in and talks about divorce, and she just gets snarky at him again. Yeah. It just... I didn't have time to go, ooh, was that the... I was just oh, okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> he does apologise for the night before, but we don't know, is he apologising for the way he spoke to her, for the way he puts his hands around her throat, around her head, and says, you know, I'm going to squeeze, thing. you know, Ashley out of you. Is that the things we see off camera? So, I mean, it is left a bit ambiguous, but the general consensus yeah. is that uh, he behaved in an aggressive and unacceptable manner. Yeah. I feel there's a lot of those moments where, and, and maybe this is what I've been having issue with the whole mm. time, where that was a learning moment. That was a, a pivotal change mm. where I felt that, okay, something new is going to happen. And then they slid straight back into their old habits, their old ways. Nothing was learnt from either of them. Nothing was grown, nothing. And this, I think, kept happening. You had these little yeah. peaks and then back to square one. It almost felt sitcom-y. It the- almost felt like... You know, when a when a character learns something in one episode and then the next episode, it's all gone. They're having the same jokes. They are toxic for one another. There they is no there is other. no doubt about that. But yet, she still wants him in the end. <sighs> so if we now think about the woman of the hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've talked about the character, mm-hmm. but the beautiful Vivian Lee. So did you enjoy her performance based on the material that she had? Yes. Because you and I this- have different opinions about the material. yeah. So, this is where I think I come back to what I was saying at the very start about liking the movie. Mm. That the actual performance, regardless of what she was performing, Mm -hmm. was mesmerizing. From everyone, I feel, to be honest. It's a a strong cast, isn't it? You can't deny that. I think the only character I ever had a major issue with, Mm. or or performer, but again, it's kind of the material she's been given, was Prissy. The the, the actress who played Prissy. Yeah, Butterfly McQueen. Butterfly McQueen. She just had this high-pitched voice that pissed me off. That's her real voice. Well, that's even... (laughs) Yes, it's probably Uh, exaggerated, but she had a high-pitched voice. I apologise, but that that voice on the recording equipment of the era... (laughs) just annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> Takes some time to get used to. Yeah. yeah. Um, her character just annoyed me, and I just... I couldn't separate the annoyance of the character from the annoyance of the actress. Yes, right, sense. yes. There, there was no separation from... Yeah. Yes, I understand two different people. Yeah. Two different things she's made but, to play. But you were that. distant so much, you yeah. like, I don't even want to look at your performance yeah, type thing. Yeah, that sort of thing. If I saw in something else... Mm. I might be able to get over, and it was better, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I might be able to get over all that. But just that that whole character hmm. and thus the performance for me was absolutely out the window. But Vivian Lee was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Regardless of what I thought of her character and character art, it was lovely. Yeah, well, obviously, no surprise. I absolutely love Scarlet. Yeah. <laughs> you and I are so polar opposites on our feelings about Scarlet. I love Scarlett and I absolutely love Vivian yeah, Leigh in this. Yeah. She is just perfection. And I think this is probably why I hold the film in a higher esteem and I forgive its sins <laughs> because, like I had said earlier, you see Scarlett very early on. 
you understand her personality, you understand her characteristics, and she sticks with them for mm. the course of the entire film. So if she doesn't win you over at that beginning, or you're expecting more from her, yeah. you won't really find it as a successful journey for her. But Vivian Leigh is just absolutely stunning. She portrays and possesses all these wonderful ranges and emotions. She looks beautiful. There mm. are some moments, you know that moment when she arrives at Melanie's house, dressed in that red dress, mm. the way she's just standing in the doorway like a porcelain doll, yeah. the way she is lit, the oh, way yeah. it is framed. I just, and it's obviously not the first time I've seen this film, but I've just gone, my goodness, you are a beautiful woman. Yeah, like you just absolutely stunning. Classic Hollywood most right certainly. there. So... Philip, we then also have the lovely Olivia de Havilland playing Saint Melanie. Yes. Um, you know, a, a very beautiful young woman, very more genteel looking, and mm-hmm. the performance is that way. I think it's difficult to fault Melanie personally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah and, 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 and Olivia, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, from the character, literally the only thing I would have liked to have seen is a little bit more, mm. maybe a bit more of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to the mm. audience to let us sort of... I'm in on no, it. Yeah, I'm in on it. But just a little, just a smidgen of a hint yeah. sort of thing. As you can tell, I'm probably someone that likes to be spoon-fed more than he wants to yes. admit. And you know but, I don't like that myself. Yeah, yeah. But uh, actor, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and I feel like that Melanie would probably be a difficult role to play because, you know, she is so saintly and so perfect. Yeah. There's not really much to grab onto. No, like, for example, it. Scarlet at least gives you a lot to play with. So I think, I agree. I think Olivia did such a wonderful Mm. job. I think it helps. And I mean this in all due respect, that it does help that she was playing a, a secondary role, a supporting role. Oh, you couldn't have, Melanie could not be the lead. No, no, she's I don't say Melanie is boring, but as a lead, there's nothing there. No, but also, yeah, the, the, no, that's it. Exactly. Because she is that sort of, it comes back to that one dimensional. Everyone seems to have this one dimension, even Scarlet. (laughs) But it comes back to, yes, she practically does what she has to do, but she always has that underline of, I'm a sport brat yeah. getting out of here. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've all, we've all got, you know, the character archetypes. They're all here yeah, as yeah. well. We've got Leslie Howard, who played Ashley. Mm. So the character of Ashley, I don't know, would you say he's a vagina tease? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And doesn't know who, what, where, when, why, how yeah, yeah. <laughs> he came that I way. a lot of the men in this <laughs> movie are, to be honest. Well, because but the women are so, um, you know, they really want to pursue a man. Oh, because, you know, women can only be complete with a man. Yeah, that's yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely think so. It, it, it doesn't help that he doesn't quite know what he wants. I think if you were to extrapolate it, if you were to do a sitcom based on these two only, it would be one of these things of he wants his wife, he, he loves his wife, he wants to get it on mm. with Scarlet. He, she, he just wants one passionate night with Scarlet, get it out of their system, and then <laughs> wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Yeah. You know what I mean? You get think that's that's all he I wants? Honestly, I think that's I feel like Ashley is. doesn't know what he wants. I mean, he's always like, yes, I'm with Melanie, I'm with Melanie, and he's always faithful to Melanie, but he feels conflicted, mm. and, you know, and Scarlet scolds him, essentially, at the end of it all. Yeah. It's like, look... You loved Melanie. You should have told me. Now, we commented on that a bit before, but maybe she just wants... Be as assertive as I am. She's told him what she's wanted. Be the same way. Yeah. You know, she's felt misled by him. Yeah, I feel like Ashley isn't always the easiest character to play either. So, I think Leslie Howard did a pretty good job at that. I think he's done a very good job, again, for what he's been given. Yeah. And I think... Yeah, I think he's... He was 
I won't say stand out. No. But definitely for the character he needed to play, he was perfect. Yeah, look, and also for me, Philip, like, we've got... Vivian Lee and Clark Gable in the leads. They've got the most meat to work yeah. with because they're the leads. Yeah. Someone who doesn't have as much, but I think out of the supporting players does the best with what she's given, is Hattie McDaniel as Mammy. Yes. I just, just from the moment you see her, you know, shouting out of the window and all the way through, you just get so much love and warmth from this character. Yes. And, you know, Hattie McDaniel received criticism at the time for playing a slave... And she, you know, had yeah, said... Yeah, she... You're just about to tell me something. Yeah, no, and I was going to say that, you know, she has a quote, and I'm paraphrasing here, look, I'd rather play a maid than be a maid. And I think, you know, she also mm. added the dollar figures of what a maid earns a week versus what an actress earns yeah. a week. And we still have problems with the way we cast people now in movies. So, 80 years ago, these were the roles on offer. It's representation. Yeah. It's work. I, I don't fault her for this at all. She gives such a stellar performance and she's an absolute highlight for me in this film. Every scene she is in, she steals the show for me. I My eyes are glued on her. Yeah. I love, love, love Hattie McDaniel in this. I think she did a stellar job. In terms of that whole thing of yeah, the, the, the roles that are there, mm. you're, you're so right. It's... You, 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 Today we look at it and go, oh, well, you could just get a different role. But mm. we even have problems with that. I mean, yeah. and with that, so that's why we, we, we talk about whitewashing so much these days. Yeah, absolutely. Like, well, why not give it to... Yeah. But most certainly, I know there were comedians of the time. There, there's uh, stories you hear of uh, black comedians of the time doing uh, pieces which, at the time, actually a lot of, you know, of their contemporaries praised them for said oh great you're getting us on stage you're getting us on film you're getting mm. all that and i know that in the 60s and 70s during the civil rights movement they were being criticized and ridiculed for these roles they had done mm. which you know decades before they were being praised for uh, because the attitudes had changed yeah, it's progression that's it just such a different you have to look at it from the era they yeah, did it absolutely and in terms of progression and looking at the era and context sometimes movies can get left behind because it belongs to another time yes gone with the wind is not one of those movies i think it's high esteem for example has dwindled it's not you know necessarily up there these days because people are focusing on its problematic representations and all these different elements, but it still has endured in popular culture. So, for example, Frankly, My Dear, I Don't Give a Damn, is one of the most quoted and most famous lines in movie mm. history. Uh, it's the parting words of yeah. Rhett Butler, and what a great way of delivering a parting shot. Mm. We want to talk about final words. Even Scarlett saying, you know, after all, tomorrow is another day is quite famous. It says so much about Scarlett. What we have watched unfold tells us that Scarlett will succeed because she's always believed that tomorrow is another day. Her declaration of also not going hungry ever again This plants the seed for the second half of the film that she will do anything because she refuses to starve again. It shows her determination. And I think these are some of the elements that I like about Scarlett and why she has endured. One of the memes that is quite popular that relates to Gone with the Wind is a 
photo of Scarlet and it's always accompanied with resting bitch face because (laughs) (laughs) Vivian Lee puts so many wonderful expressions on display here and Scarlet's resting bitch face is one of them and I love that women specifically take pride in resting bitch face and I love 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 that Scarlet is a symbol of that even today (laughs) Scarlet endures so the reasons you don't like her film people are still embracing yeah yeah So, look, it wouldn't really uh, be a proper podcast if I don't try to mention The Simpsons. Of course. And it is easy this time round. The Simpsons itself has had eight references to Gone with the Wind. Three of these are in the second season. Ah, yeah. And some of them do parody, I Will Never Go Hungry Again. As God is my witness, I'll always be hungry again! As God is my witness, I can pass the fourth grade! And that famous scene of the battlefield when we pan out and see Mm. thousands of soldiers laid out there. No CGI, folks. Extras and dummies. Looks amazing. It's such an iconic scene as well. In terms of the film receiving praise, it won eight Oscars from 13 nominations and received two honorary awards for technical achievements. So Clark Gable and Vivian Lee both won for leading performances. Mm -hmm. Olivia de Havilland was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She lost, though, to her Mm co-star, Hattie McDaniel. Mm -hmm. Hugely significant, becoming the first black person to win an Oscar. Ah. So this was really huge. So there was even discussion about having Hattie McDaniel attend the Oscar ceremony. The venue did not want her. Gone with the Wind is the biggest movie of the year. You want everyone on board. So she did attend the ceremony, I believe, with her husband or at Mm -hmm. least with someone else. And they did not sit with the cast. They sat at the back Mm. near where the catering was being distributed. It wasn't a secret, really, that she was going to win this award. People kind of knew it. Mm -hmm. And she delivered a beautiful Mm -hmm. Oscar acceptance speech. It's incredibly significant. And we will listen to it right now. Really, especially happy that I'm chosen to present this particular plaque. To me, it seems more than just a plaque of gold. It opens the doors of this room, moves back the walls, and enables us to embrace the whole of America. An America that we love. An America that, almost alone in the world today, recognizes and pays tribute to those who give their best regardless of creed, race, or color. It is with the knowledge that this entire nation will stand and salute the presentation of this plaque that I present the Academy Award for the best performance of an actress in supporting roles during 1939 to Hattie McDaniel. Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science, fellow members of the motion picture industry and honored guests. This is one of the happiest moments of my life. And I want to thank each one of you who had a part in selecting me for one of the awards. For your kindness, it has made me feel very, very humble. And I shall always hold it as a beacon for anything that I may be able to do in the future. I sincerely hope I shall always be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry. My heart is too full 
to tell you just how I feel. And may I say thank you. In terms of the Oscars as well, mm-hmm. Vivian Lee holds a record for her Oscar win. Mm-hmm. So at two hours, 23 minutes and 32 seconds, Vivian's performance in this movie is the longest ever to win an Academy Award. Ah. And there is countless and countless other facts and trivia. <laughs> IMDb it. Philip. We would be talking about the film's production problems, the behind the scenes, and all the trivia and endurance of popular culture for about another 12 hours yeah. because it is so. For about as long film. as the movie. Oh, <laughs> four times as long as the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One last bit of trivia, which I find really interesting, is that there are only two surviving credited cast members from Gone with the Wind. Oh, wow. Olivia de Havilland, mm-hmm. who played Melanie, mm-hmm. she's 103. And Mickey Kuhn, who played her son, Bo, is 87. Ah. So I love that. Screen mother and son are still alive, which is actually quite sweet. Yeah. So at the time of this recording, we've got two credited cast members still enjoying the legacy of Gone with the Wind. Beautiful. And what a legacy it is, Philip. However, I'm curious as what you're taking from Gone with the Wind. What are your final thoughts and a score out of five? Look, at the end of the day, I still sort of can't get over some of the legacy of this film. I know that it was taken on in some negative ways. I know that it was hijacked by some negative people. (laughs) But can you really blame a movie for that if it didn't set out to do that? I think the answer at the end of the day has to be no. And with that in mind, I do think as problematic as some of the bits are, I truly do understand how this movie has not only got a beautiful legacy, but also deserves its accolades and its wonder. And so with that in mind, I give this movie a three and a half stars. Lovely. Well, Philip, no surprise that I absolutely love this movie because I absolutely love Scarlett O'Hara. There's so many wonderful things about this movie, from the production quality to its aesthetics, to the use of dialogue, to the way that it uses simple narrative structure, to the production itself, the grand scale. And this was in 1939. Mm. The use of practical effects, the use of screens and... The sets themselves, those aren't miniatures burning in Atlanta. They're real sets. One of the main pieces there was the gate that King Kong went Ah. out through. They burnt that thing in the back (laughs) lot. I love the costumes. I love the casting. I just can draw so many wonderful things out of this movie. For its place in cinematic history for the way it tells a story, for the way that it purposely romanticizes an era because it wants to tell a romantic melodrama, it achieves what it sets out to do and then some. The score is absolutely stunning. The movie runs for almost four hours. I don't feel the time. I think it is paced so well. I am gripped from the get-go. Most of that falls on Vivian Lee and her outstanding performance. I am invested with her 
the whole way through. I absolutely adore this movie. I think it holds its place in history for a reason, and I think it will continue to endure. It has copped some flack now that we're looking at it more critically, but looking at the time that it was made, that just the art of filmmaking that it took to bring this movie together and the fact that it has captured so much attention and remains in popular culture discourse. Is it the greatest film ever made? You better believe it. Five out of five. (laughs) (laughs) Philip, what do you have for us next time? Well, I'm actually going from something which you feel is the greatest film of all time. Mm Mm-hmm to something which I feel should have been the greatest film of all time (laughs) and actually I found was a major disappointment. Oh, okay. So I'm spoiling our review ever so slightly now, but you'll understand why. Yes, Phil. Because this is a film made from who I think is one of the greatest comedians of all time, Mm. Spike Milligan, Mm. and it was an attempt to bring his famous goon show to the silver screen Ooh. in a movie parody called Down Amongst the Zed Men. Ooh, have not even heard of this, Philip. And I will not research it because <laughs> I want to be totally surprised by this. But I'm sensing you were disappointed and I might be too. Very much so. Okay, I can't wait for this. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. So until then, I've been a Wayne Stellini. And I've been a Philip Hunting. And, and you've just experienced, experienced Fred Watch. Sheer music. Dun 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 I'll cut it out, Philip! Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn! Oh fiddle dee dee! And scene! Blooper reel. Am I saying that bit? Whatever's in bold. And I'm a Philip Pumpkin. Welcome. Yeah, no, I am. Ready? Willing. Able? I thought it was funny. <laughs> Hello. G'day. Hey. 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 Whoa. Hey, whoa. I'm Wayne Stellini. And I'm a Philip Hunting, and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. We most certainly do, my good <laughs> friend. So, what have you been watching since our last podcast? Oh, fuck. Let's start again. I forgot all about it. <laughs> G'day. No? Okay. <laughs> I'm not ready for you. <laughs> oh, are you ever? Well, I never really know what to expect from you. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're my box of chocolates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have I been watching? I love what you were going to start it without even knowing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was just going to bullshit it as I went. Um, when's this coming out? The 19th of December. Cool. You would have just seen Star Wars. I was just about to say. You can't talk about a film you haven't seen. No. Alright. You good? Mm-hmm. Okay, good man manager of the hotel who's sort of almost very Basil Fawlty-esque. Yes. Um, he hates hates children. Yeah. But the premise of the... Uh... Well, Philip, I actually also revisited a show from my childhood and even then it was reruns. But for me, it was more, I suppose... I have no idea how to do this. That's right, let's pause Good. there. Okay, cool. And then you can lead me in? Yep. But you also made and me sit can... through Thunderbirds and... ago. <laughs>
I get as, you know what I'm doing for next year. Mm-hmm. I'm getting them to watch a four part miniseries for for Anzac Day. So can I say one thing? You young man, be careful how much you moan about the running length of this film. Yeah. <laughs> to be perfectly frank, I'm not gonna. <laughs> Thank you, and I'm, actually, I'm, I'm glad actually, you. I'm glad you stayed awake. Yeah. Now, to be honest, to be honest, I've got a lot more good things about this to say than I think you... Oh, no, it doesn't... Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, we're shitting on each other's films a lot lately, actually. <laughs> which is... Getting more comfortable. Which is better, yeah. I don't want to offend. Let's, let's be honest. It started... Yeah. It all essentially started with us shitting on my film because I realised it was shit after <laughs> This is true. <laughs> And then a period of you shooting at my films and me going, oh, I love this film, Wayne. Thank you for introducing me to it. So now me going, yeah, fuck it. Is. I just thought it meant I had better taste. That's all I thought it meant. Mind you, I said to Kendall last night, because, um, you know, told her we were, we were doing this. And I said, oh, by the way, um, Kendall, yeah, um, I'm not doing Jaws with Philip. I'm not letting him shit all over it. And I've gone... <laughs> And I've gone, at least if you don't like the movie, it'll be like, um, you know, constructive criticism. (laughs) (laughs) The friendship's not worth it. Can I be perfectly frank? Yeah. Um, From what I've seen of Jaws, Mm. I think I'd actually enjoy it outside it being a bit spoopy. No, I think you'd enjoy it too. I think it's it's perfect. Oh, well. And a few few jump scares though. I think you'll find no movie's perfect. Jaws is. No. (laughs) (laughs) Jaws is. If Jules is perfect, then Empire Strikes Back is perfect. I didn't say it wasn't, Philip. Mm. Are you trying to compensate for something because you see some um, some flaws in it? Look, it's a really strong narrative. Look, it's my favourite Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah. But, look... It was a bad just example. Because, <laughs> just because... I love it. <laughs> <laughs> look, just because the shark looks fake. I mean... You may be. <laughs> Yes, well, I know that when Margaret Mitchell sat down to wrote it, well, sat down to wrote it. <laughs> well, I believe that when Margaret, let me do that again because mm-hmm. I can word it better. But then, if that's the case, is it trying to say that the South is stubborn? The South isn't working towards. It is. Fuck! I was on a roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his name? Rhett Ashley. The the the, hus- the the husband that she ends up with and divorces her at the end. Rep. Yeah, rep. Ret. Ret. Does she represent the South? You know, is she she's sort of struggling to to. <clears throat> and Scarlet becomes the Scarlet Woman, <laughs> so yeah. to speak, while wearing a Scarlet dress. At sorry, that just totally distracted. Me. I'm so sorry. Um... If Gone with the Wind is the only film you saw yes, set yes, in a slavery, yes. slave, oh, fuck, damn it, we were doing so well. Yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, Vivian, Vivian Lee, and I feel this is one of those cases that, for me personally, scratch that. I'm going to leave that for the end. And then in the '60s and '70s, with the uh, Black Panthers or Civil Rights Movement, Civil Rights Movement. Thank you. And then in the 60s and 70s with the civil rights movement, these people were getting lambasted. What? It's a, it's a long, it's been a long day. It's yeah. okay. I don't know if that's a word. Lampooned, lambasted. What are you trying to say? Um, ridiculed. Yeah, to criticise harshly. Lambast. Lambast, cool.
And I know that then in the, the 60s and 70s during the... <sighs> and I know that in the 60s and 70s during the civil rights movement... Civil rights movement. They were being criticised. Yeah. <laughs> so Olivia de Havilland won the best supporting... No, she didn't. She did not. What are your final thoughts and a score out of five? I'd forgotten what I was going to say when I turned around and said... Oh, it's okay. I know. Just give us your final thoughts. I truly do understand how this movie has not only got a beautiful legacy, a uh, beautiful... um, I'm rambling, sorry. Um, And so with that in mind, I give this movie a... With that in mind... I give God So until then, I've been a Wayne Stellini. And I've been a Philip Hunting. And you've just experienced Fred Watch. I'm going to do that all again. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. Brain. No, you're okay. I'm always used to you starting for yeah, some no, reason. It is. It is. I meant to. No, no. I've got it here. I start. Oh, is it? Because I hosted. I start. Yeah. Cool. I was trying so you hard to get You are so good. That was such a fucking good discussion. <laughs> <laughs>